Alright, flip your bulletins back over, and we are in a series, if you've never been here before, we preach through sermon series as we go, just to kind of guide and direct us. Every once in a while we'll just preach one sermon, but we usually preach through a sermon series, and in January we typically do something to kind of, kind of get us motivated and give us direction for the year. So we started Unsafe Church in the beginning of January. Next week will be called an Unsafe Contribution. Uh, we've, we did a series called a, a Unsafe Calling. And, and the first week we did Unsafe Compassion. The reason compassion is important is because once you begin to feel the way that Jesus feels about people, you'll do the things that Jesus did, even when the calling, which is what we talked about last week, will cost you a lot. Today I want to talk to you about commitment. And, and this, this is maybe the one I've been waiting to preach to you the most. And the reason that that it is, is because it seems like a problem in the church. It it seems like like a problem with people. Commitment is is definitely something that has kind of faded from our culture. The character to stay committed, the integrity to keep going when you don't feel like it. If if you look around, you'll see it in all different examples. You'll see it in marriages. You'll see people, and I I always tell them, the easiest day of your marriage is going to be your wedding. Like, that's the easiest day. If you think that day is stressful, wait till you have a screaming newborn in the middle of the 16th night in a row that you haven't gotten any sleep, and you haven't brushed your teeth for literally months because you haven't been sleeping, and that's optional, and you and your spouse are in the midst of wanting to kill each other in the midst of not sleeping. You'll do some crazy stuff when you don't get sleep. Is there anybody else in this room that you would say amen to that? Like, that right there takes commitment. Like, the easiest day of your life is is the, is the ceremony where everything is about you, all the pictures, all the Instagram, all the hashtags, all the cookies, all the cake, all the partying, all the toast, they're all about you, and then they go away, and it's commitment that keeps you married. I often think about this. The easiest part of you following Jesus is the decision you make at the end of one of the experiences at church. That's the easiest part. Like I'll tell you that in the last six years of Journey Church, close to 1,800 people have raised their hand at the end of one of our experiences uh, to make Jesus the Lord of their life. Last year, 250. The year before, it was like 460 people. This year, 41 people in three weeks. We missed a week. Have already raised their hand at the end of one of our experiences to make Jesus the Lord of life. And every time it happens, it's thrilling for us as a church because that's why we give. That's why we serve. That's why we paint. That's why we clean. That's why we make bathrooms smell good. That's why we print bulletins because at the end of the experience, that is the time where Jesus actually threw all that other stuff Meet somebody right here in this room. It is a thrilling experience, and it never gets old. Never. But the easiest decision for people is that, that time right there. You shoot your hand up in the air. The hardest decision for you is then going to be the daily deciding in your life to keep following Jesus. Like every year I stand back and I look at our church, and almost every year uh, it seems like we have a new church. I don't know if anybody's ever noticed that. Sometimes people want to come back, something happens, they want to come back, and they, they're ashamed of something they've done. And I was like, why are you ashamed? Nobody's going to know you anyways. It's been six months. <laughs> but just come back. It's dark. No one's going to even know. 
And I start thinking about it, and I look out over this church, and every year as we kind of restart the year, every year of Journey Church, we've grown. Every year. Every year we've grown. Last year we grew by 100 people. The year before that we grew by 100. Every year we grow. Every year our giving has gone up. Every year it seems like the, what God is doing has gone up. But every year it feels like there's a brand new church that's rolling with us. And it's at some point, as a pastor, you want to go, okay, can we just, can we just keep the people that have been here? And I know what's going to happen. I know there's going to be kind of a door where people are leaving and going. But, but can we just teach this word called commitment where there's people that are here for the for the long term there's people that just stay committed they, they just stay with their eyes focused they they're not just feelings-based people that are like i'm just going to come to church and it feels great and then all of a sudden it stops feeling right because i know that those type of people they never succeed at anything because at some point in your life you have to get committed as I was reading through the book of Acts, you know we've been doing Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. You will see power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We talked about the calling. We talked about the compassion. In the next chapter, stuff starts to blow up. I've read to you before in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 41, Peter preaches a sermon. He, he, he's the first one to get up and talk in front of people. And the Bible says that those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 of them in that day decided to follow Jesus. I've often wondered. How many of them kept going? Like in the midst of 3,000 people, that, that kind of feeling of, uh, of excitement and that kind of adrenaline that's pumping and you're just going to do it because everybody else is, is doing it. And I'm not saying all of them left, but I believe some of them, after they made a decision, I'm not sure what they did. You don't really hear about many of them and it never really comes up again. But I often wonder how many of them decided at some point, this is too much. I wonder how many of you in this room are going to decide that. I can promise you to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you everything. Deciding to follow Jesus in this room is easy, but following Jesus, I promise you, will cost you something. And if you're not aware of that, the commitment that you need to keep going is going to fade. Every once in a while, I like to read about the, the fathers of our faith, the early, the early men that, that kind of started this whole thing uh, it's not really in the Bible how they died, but historians have been able to kind of trace what they believe to be the end for most of the apostles. Every once in a while, as things get tough and commitment needs to kind of get stronger and the cost is, ra- is rising, I like to go and read about how they died because it makes me feel lucky for how I get to live in America. Like I, I read and I think to myself, man, it cost them Everything. You'll read about these guys if you read the Bible, when you read about the life they're going through, but if you ever get a chance, just Google how they died, and here's the list of the men and how they think they died. Matthew, who was a task author, he was one of, uh, of Jesus' disciples. They believe he suffered by being killed by being slain by a sword. He was stabbed to death. That's how he died for the cause of Christ. Mark, the apostle, was drugged through a road until he finally succumbed to death. That's how he died. Luke was hung on an olive tree. John was put in boiling water. He's the only one that didn't die for his faith. I think I would have prayed for death. He was put in boiling water, but somehow he escaped, and after that was was sent to be by himself on the island of Patmos. It cost him something. James the Greater was beheaded. James the Less was thrown from a lofty pinnacle of the temple and then beaten to death. All for his faith. Andrew was bound to a cross where he preached to his persecutors until he died. Could you imagine that? Just so you know, 
time and time again, if you read church history, that, that, that happened. There was, there was guys that got the Bible, that fought to get the Bible back into your hands because it was taken from you. It was put only in Latin so that you couldn't understand it and stuff like purgatory and, and, and going and talking to a priest to have your sins forgiven and all that other garbage that people believe was placed in there. And then these men, these these men like Martin Luther and, and John Calvin, they fought to get it back in your hands. Many of them died at the stake just like these men did with the Bible being used as kindling to silence them. It cost them everything. You, you keep going. Andrew was bound to a cross. Thomas was run through the body with a lance. Jude was shot to death with arrows. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas of the Gentiles was stoned to death. And Paul, after various tortures and persecutions, was at length beheaded at Rome by the Emperor Nero. I mean, you know you're making a ruckus and, and doing some damage when the strongest, most powerful man in the world decides he needs to silence you by beheading you. It's going to cost you everything to follow Jesus. Here's what I know. I think sometimes when I preach a message like this, people are like, well, we live in America. And in America, come on, we're not going to get beheaded. We're not going to get killed. We're not going to get stoned. None of that stuff's going to happen. We're not going to get thrown from the top of Journey Church. Like, aren't you being a little bit intense today? Here's what I know. That Christians in America typically aren't tested by hardship. Me and you are tested by freedom. It's the freedom to do what we want that causes us not to be committed. It's the freedom to come when we want that causes us to be lackadaisical about church. It's the, the freedom to, to give when we want and use our money to buy what we want at the time that we want it at the expense maybe of doing what God has called us to do with his money that he's given us. It's the freedom of nobody really telling us it's going to cost us anything that actually costs us everything. It's freedom. See, the disciples, they were willing to go. They counted the cost. They were committed. The early church was committed. Time and time again, you'll read in church history that when it moves, people are committed. I think the reason that the church in America maybe not be doing what it's supposed to be doing might be the sleeping giant that it is because people aren't, they aren't committed. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Luke chapter 14. And I'm going to talk to you about commitment problems today, problems that I've dealt with. So I'm preaching not at you, I'm preaching with you. And maybe something you're going to deal with this year because you have 11 more months this year, just so you know. And my question for you is how many of you at the end of the 11 months that come here won't be here by next year? How many of you would decide it's going to take too much, cost too much, be too much of a sacrifice? How many of you are going to come up with some lame excuse as to why that you should walk away from the faith? How many of you, because of the freedom that we have in America, and I'm so thankful for the freedom, will use that as a crutch to not go all in? It's almost impossible when you read the words of Jesus to live a life like that, by the way, to have commitment problems. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14. The Bible says large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, now, if for, for most of us, Jesus in this moment would be saying, this is really successful. Look, everybody's here. Many times in church, we judge it like that. Look how many people are here today. Look how many people decided to show up. Look how many people are here sitting in our seats. But Jesus always judged success differently. He didn't necessarily judge the success of his ministry by the size of his ministry. 
by the size of those that were following him, by the size of those who wanted to be close to them, by the size of them who wanted to get a piece of the action, the miracle action he provided. He judged it by the amount of people who were willing to die for him. So this large crowd comes to follow Jesus, and he begins to go into this This ditty right here in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Some of you go, that seems a little harsh, Jesus. What he's saying is, is for many of you, to follow me is going to cost you everything. You're going to have to choose me over keeping even your mom and dad happy. And nobody likes to tick off their mama. You're going to have to choose me, and there's going to be siblings that are going to get angry at you and talk bad about you and walk away from you, and you're going to have to decide. And he uses a strong word, and typically we always say stuff like this, well, he didn't mean hate. He didn't mean like you need to hate. Yes, he did. He's saying in comparison to how I feel and how you feel about me, you're going to have to love me so much that it looks like you hate everybody else and they're not going to understand what you're doing and they're going to get mad at you and confused by you, but you're probably going to lose a lot of people if you stay committed to me. I mean, I guarantee the large crowd at that moment's going, forget this. I thought I was getting a tuna fish sandwich out of this. I thought he was going to turn water into wine. I mean, while we were going to party here, Jesus is talking about hating people. What's up with that? I thought he was supposed to love Jesus. And watch this. Then he says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be. My son, well, we don't even understand this because we, we know the cross, but we don't really know the cross because people don't die on the cross. Like at that time, they would have been like, this dude's crazy. Like the cross was a despicable, shameful, disgusting, worst way you could ever die type of death. And he's looking at him, his disciples and his followers, and he's saying, if you're going to come with me, you're going to need to carry your cross to the place of your death. It was prophetic. It was prophetic. So suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying that person began to build and wasn't able to finish. One of the worst things in the world to the church is people that start strong and finish weekly. People look at them and they go, see, your faith was, was conditional. Some people walk away when, when, when they suffer because they're under the assumption that God has promised them ease. They forgot and they did, I don't know, maybe, if they ever read the actual Bible, Because for all the people that followed Jesus in the Bible, life got harder, not easier. It was about eternity that got better, that got more secure. But life here, it got harder for them. I don't know one person who follows Jesus that hasn't been through some pain in their life and wouldn't say, it's gotten harder since I decided to start following Jesus. I've lost more friends. I've lost more acquaintances. I've given up more. And the truth is, the longer you follow Jesus, he's just going to take more and more and more from you because he has such a better plan for your life that goes long past this life. He keeps going. He says this, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off, and he will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. 
And he says, whoever has ears to hear, would you listen to this? In other words, this is really important that you get this. As you're following me and waiting for the water to be wine and waiting for me to walk on water again and waiting for me to raise somebody from the dead and waiting for me to heal the blind, you need to understand that stuff is powerful and important, but you need to understand what you're choosing right now. You need to understand that right now it's easy, but there's going to be a time when they kill you for believing in me. There's going to be a time when they take everything from you. There's going to be a time when you have to decide Jesus or, or them. For many of us, we'll have a hard time with this passage. Here's three things I think we struggle with as people that cause us to walk away from God. Number one is this, is for many of us, we have what I would call a positional problem. In other words, when I visually talk to you about following Jesus, following means that he, he's in front of you and you're behind him. Like we all get that, right? If you follow the leader, some of you are going to have a hard time with this. But if you, your teacher tells you to get in line, it's been a long time for some of you since you've been in school, a lot longer than me, I'm just saying, and you get in line and your teacher says, follow me, and you step out of line, what happens? Some of you so old used to get whipped with a stick, you remember that? Now you get a note home, and then the parent comes in and yells at the teacher because the kid's being bad, but it's actually the teacher's fault because my kid's just a leader. When you follow somebody, it means you listen to them. When they say stop, you stop. I went to my, my son's school a couple weeks ago to read a book in front of first graders. That's scary, y'all, just so you know. I'm trying to read a book. I don't even know how teachers hold the book like this and read upside down. I felt like a dummy in that class. And I'm reading the book, and she says, would you like to walk with us to the art class? And I said, sure. She said, follow me. So I got in line behind the last kid, and me and my son, we followed his first grade teacher, to the art class. You know what I didn't do? I didn't get out of line because I didn't want to get in trouble because she told me, follow. The problem with many people is Jesus will say, come, follow me. Come, die to yourself. Carry your cross. But I'm going to be in charge. And we have a problem with that. My first and my, or my last dog that I had and my last dog that I will ever have, his name was Dawkins. We had him before kids. He was my wife's first baby. A little schnoodle, about 25 pounds of, of terror. We had him for almost four years. We had him for the long term. We were committed to him until we had a baby. And some of you have not been here for this story, but the way we got rid of Dawkins is we dropped him off at somebody's house. And I convinced my wife, let's never go pick him up again. And so we didn't. He was a jerk the way I saw him. A couple weeks later at, at the at office at Morningstar, these people brought this dog in and run around. He ran right past me like he never even knew me. Four years. Four years of walking him outside. Four years of getting him to the perfect spot in the middle of a snowstorm. Four years of him tearing up stuff in my house. Four years of him licking himself in places he shouldn't have been licking himself and rubbing himself on places in my house he shouldn't be rubbing himself. Four years. I remember one thing about Dawkins that I hated is he never learned how to walk. Not walk like walk, like, like he never learned how for me to put him on a leash and for us to go for a walk. I don't know if you ever had a dog like this, but you have this collar and then you take this thing called a leash and you put it on them. And the message to them is, is you might think you're in charge, but I'm doing the walking and you are, are doing the following even though you're out in front of me. And the whole time, I don't know if you ever had a dog like this, he's, his thing's choking. Ah, ah, ah. 
every time, anybody have a dog that every time he sees somebody, eh, he's sniffing their butt and everything like that, and you're pulling him back? Literally, I was embarrassed to walk this dog. The dumbest dog that's ever existed in the world. We will walk, and I used to think to myself, you are dumb because you think that, that you are the boss right now, even though I have you on a leash. Even though I'm guiding and directing you. And what would happen is we would try to go on a walk. And about 100 yards into our walk, this fool was about to pass out because he was so tired from choking himself. <laughs> Walking was torture with him. And I started thinking to myself, so many of you are like that too. The Bible never says come to Jesus and you'll be free from listening to anything. The Bible says you're a slave to sin and Jesus has bought you at a high price. That's what the Bible says. And then, because he has bought you at a high price, he takes off the bondage of sin, which you're actually not free from. And you're kind of pulling and choking yourself and wearing yourself out. And then he places, the Bible says, a yoke on you. It says his yoke is easy, his burden is light. But there's still a yoke for you to carry. And he begins to guide and direct you in a different way. And some people never figure this out. And they literally just choke themselves out trying to make, hey, God, we're going to go here now. And God's saying, no, you're not ready yet. God, I need this girl. I need this girl. You run up the sniffer. You got to get this girl. And God's saying, you're not ready yet. God, I need this job. God, I need to do this. God, he's God saying, you're, we're not there yet. If you would just allow me to guide and direct you and you would just follow me, this would be so much more of a pleasant experience. See, for many of us, we have a positional problem and it even has run rampant in the church. Can I tell you one of the worst terms that has ever been invented in the church? Church shopping or church hoppers. Here's how you know you're a church hopper. You've been to more than three churches over the past five years. You might be a church hopper. There's two different types of church hoppers or church shoppers. There's one that I would call the complainers. They're never happy. No matter what, they haven't figured out the church is not perfect because imperfect people run it, obviously. By the way, I need to apologize. I called a lady an idiot last week in first service. That was... That was really bad of me. If you're listening, I'm so sorry. We're imperfect people. And complainers will always find something wrong with the church. They'll go to the next church and they'll find the exact same thing wrong with it. And they just complain. There's other people that we call consumers. I call them moochers. I've called them parasites before. We've lightened up a little bit. We just call them consumers. They come to the church with this thinking. I'm going to go to this church because of what it has to offer me. I'm going to go to this church because of the ministries it has for me. I'm going to go to this church because they have this ministry for this age group and this ministry, that ministry, that. And they never, ever, ever realize that church is not something you come to because of what it's going to do for you. But church is something you come to because you want to be part of something greater than yourself. That you come not asking, what do I get? But you come asking, what can I give? You understand that Jesus paid a high price to get you out of sin, that you were a slave to sin, and Jesus paid the high price. Let me say, what's the high price? His life. What does he ask for in return? Your life. He asked for everything from you, all your talents, all your money, all your time, all your energy. Somebody said, that, that seems like it's too much. Why can't he just have a little bit? Because you were bought at a high price, and you were once Satan's, And now you're God's. You were once a slave to sin. You were once a puppet with the little strings on you. And Satan was up there above you. And he was pulling strings and making you bitter and making you resentful and making you angry. And Jesus came and he cut the strings off. And he freed you. And he expects everything from you. And many of you have a problem with that because you have a positional 
problem with God. You, you have a consumer complaining, this is all about me, instead of going, God, God, it's all about you. It's all about you. Another thing I know about uh, problems that make us lack commitment is a preoccupied problem. A preoccupied problem. Some of us start strong and then there's all sorts of things that, that take our eyes away from, from God. There are all sorts of things that kind of get our eyes away from him. There's a Bible verse that says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your life. Why is that? The Bible is clear that your eyes, if they're healthy, everything else about you is healthy. In Matthew it says that. But if your eyes are jacked up, everything else about you is messed up. What that means is if you don't see this, if you don't understand this, if you don't comprehend this, you will constantly be in a cycle where you're kind of wandering away from God's best for you. Check out this Bible verse in Luke chapter 9. The Bible says, as they were walking down the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. I mean, I can just imagine this. Jesus is walking with his disciples. There's people following him. And this man said, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus looks at the man and he says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man, he has nowhere to go. Do you know what you're saying? Do you understand what you're asking for, what you're signing up for? Jesus looked at another person. I assume they're trying to follow Jesus, sneak into the little line right there. And Jesus says, follow me. And the man says, first, let me go and bury my father. Like, I'll be back. But first, let me go home and take care of family business. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service for the kingdom of God. In other words, it's going to be so easy for so many of us to get preoccupied with life. And he says, if you want to stay with me, you need to put your hands to the plow and plow. You need to never take your eyes off what you're doing. So what happens to many people then? I was reading through the book of Hebrews this week, and in Hebrews chapter 2, there's something that I wrote down in my notes that I thought... It's such a good illustration of, of why people kind of, why they moved. It doesn't happen quickly, just so you know. It happens slowly. It happens with, with one inch that you give to the devil. It happens with one Sunday that you decide to sleep in. It happens with one time you decide to date somebody you're not supposed to date. It happens with one time when you decide, I'm going to stop giving the way that I'm supposed to be giving and serving the way that I'm supposed to be serving. It happens like that. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 that we must pay careful attention. And here's why. Therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. And I want you to close your eyes all over this house. Just close your eyes all over this house. Come on, everybody close your eyes. Come on, listen. Don't be a sinner. Listen to me. Limerick, close your eyes. I know if you're not doing what I told you to do. And, and I want you to think about this illustration. Think about the beach because it's cold outside. Think about the nicest, beautifulest, most perfect day. You've been working out, so you look good. And you're on the beach and you decide to go get cooled off in the water. And you get on that raft and you go out into the, to the waves and all of a sudden you fall asleep on that raft. You were only a couple feet out and there was no jellyfish or sharks to get you. And you can see your spot, and then all of a sudden, an hour passes, you open up your eyes, and what happens? You've drifted without even knowing it. You can open your eyes back up. You've gone way down the beach, you open your eyes back up, and you look, and you don't know anybody on the beach. You don't know the lifeguard that's there, and all of a sudden, you are far from where you started. That's what happens to Christians. 
They drift. They drift because of materialism. Some of you say, how do you know you're materialistic? Well, are you in debt up to your eyeballs? Do you live paycheck to paycheck? You are struggling with materialism. Do you never have enough? You are struggling with materialism. Do you get more excited by going to the mall and buying yourself a new shirt than you do than giving to God's kingdom to build his church? Like, does that excite you? You struggle with materialism. You're drifting. Some of you, you drift by worry. You're going to worry this year. Like, you're going you're gonna to think that maybe God's not in control. Some of you are going to make bad decisions on who you should date, who you should marry, who you should be with. You're drifting slowly away from God. But the truth is it's because you worry. Some of you, it's because you feel superior. The longer you're in the church, the easier it is to drift away from the gospel and believe that oh, you are so good, you are so great, you have done so much. I want to stay close to Jesus. I want to know that I'm not good, but he's good. What's going to take you away this year? What's the one thing that if God asked for it, you wouldn't give? I can promise you, if you don't give it to him this year, you're drifting away. To not give it to him is to drift Think about it. What's the thing right now that if God asks for it, you go, mm-mm, no, no. You, listen, you can have my wife. But you can't have my TV, God. Drift, preoccupied. And last one, number three, as I close, a progress problem. A progress problem. This is going to shock some of you. God is not asking you per- for perfection. He's not. That's religion. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. There's no perfect people in this church. If you feel imperfect, you've come to the right place. If you feel like a mess, this is your home. He's not asking you perfection, but what he does want is your best. He's not going to be happy with anything but, but your best. He wants all or he wants nothing. I mean, can you imagine if we did the same thing to Jesus that we do to our to our partners, to the people that we marry? Could you imagine if the most progress that I made, uh, the best it was going to get, stopped at the altar 13 years ago in October on a cold day in Oklahoma, a windy day? Could you imagine if the best that I had was given at that day and it's just gotten worse and worse and worse every day? I can promise you that I would be on my third or fourth wife by now. I'd be so bad nobody would marry me. If I had the same mentality many of us do, We meet Jesus, and we think that's the end. That's just the beginning. He's forcefully then taking control of your life. He's clearing stuff out. He's recycling stuff. He's getting rid of stuff. He's taking stuff that was bad, and he's making it good. He's using it for good in your life. He's doing all that, and it's not about perfection, but it is about your best. And I can tell you, there's many people at Limerick in here, the reason you're going to wander away, you're going to drift away, is simply because you stop making progress. There's something in your life God's asking for, and you won't do it. And I can tell you right now, you're not only are you done growing, but you're drifting. You're drifting. There's only one way to follow Christ. You either keep following him or you're walking away. There's no middle ground. He either keeps advancing in your life. Some of you, he started a work in your life this year. I can look at you in the face. I can know people at Limerick at Plymouth meeting those watch line. And I can see the stuff that God has started in your life. But I can, let me tell you something. I've been at the same spot with many other people over the last six years. I've seen them start. I've seen what God wants to do in life. And then they drift. And the sad thing is, is as many times as somebody starts drifting, when they stop making progress, there's nothing you can do for them. You can't change somebody. You can yell at them. You can kick them. 
You can scold them. You can do all that stuff. You can cry for them. You can pray for them. But until them, their selves, decide, you know what? I'm not going to stop drifting. They're lost. They're lost. They stop making progress. Some of you, you have what I call, and I read this week, it's called litter pan theology. Now, you know I don't like cats. But this is one of the greatest examples I've read in a long time. The person was writing about how they have company a lot and they clean up when company's coming. Most of us do that too. You should. And they have company and they clean up all this stuff. And one of the last things they do all the time is they go to their litter pan and they clean it out, which is a good idea if you have a cat. Because it's stinky. So they clean out this litter pan every time they come. They said, what if I, I cleaned everything else, but I left the litter pan full of, of cat urine and, and other stuff, cleaned everything else, sprayed everything else down, but just left that. She said, eventually, that is what's going to smell. And it's not going to matter that I cleaned everything else on the outside because I still have a litter pan in the middle of my room. And she said, a lot of Christians have a litter pan theology to life. You come to church, you do kind of a couple, couple cleaning jobs, you sing a couple songs, you tip God, you do all that stuff. But the truth is, you have a litter pan sitting in the middle of your room, of your life, so to speak. And it's a thing God has been asking you to get rid of for a long time. And the way that you clean a litter pan out is you dump the crap. And I thought to myself, what a great visual for many of you. There's a steaming pile of you-know-what in the middle of your life. It's time to get rid of it. Some of you know exactly what it is. 2015, I can promise you, if you don't get rid of it, eventually you're going to wander. You're going to drift. You're going to stop making progress. You're going to become preoccupied. You're going to have a positional problem because that's exactly what it is. And you won't be here this time next year. And it's not going to be because God wandered from you because he certainly doesn't. His plan for you is until your life ends on this earth and then for the next part of your life, which is eternity in heaven. His plan for you is forever. It is final. It's worked out. Your job is just to follow him. But many of you, I have a fear. You won't. I told you the story in John chapter 6 as I close of Jesus kind of doing this. He kind of purges his followers again. He teaches this hard teaching he tells them, hey, you just want to come be near me because of what I can give to you? I can promise you if that's the reason you're here because of what God can give to you, you're going to be gone. Because he's going to stop giving to you, so to speak. You're going to stop getting what you want from God and you're going to go find something else. And the Bible says in this chapter that many people wandered from him. And then his disciples are listening and, and the Bible says that, that they get kind of confused and they get kind of worried. And he looks at them and he says, does this teaching offend you? Jesus says that. Are you offended? And then he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, who am I? You got somewhere else you want to be? And Peter, in that moment, he, the Bible says that he tells Jesus, where else am I going to go? What else am I going to do with my life? I tried everything else. My life got me to being a fisherman in a boat. That was my life. I would have fished until I died. No one would have ever remembered me. My legacy would have been weak. The extent of the power and the significance of my life. No one's, I got nowhere else to go. So I'm staying with you, Jesus. And for those of us who stay, at some point, that's what we say to Jesus. I don't really like this teaching that much, Jesus. It kind of offends me. 
I don't like that you asked me to carry my cross. I don't like that you asked me for more and more and more. When are you going to be done, Jesus? Jesus says, this offend you? I want more. And at some point you have to go, where else do I have to go, Jesus? Who else do I have to follow? I'm with you. And those are the people that keep going. Those are the people that are committed. Those are the people that God works through in their life. How many of you are going to be that type of person? It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. But I can promise you, if you walk away from Christ, it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. So you have to decide, am I going to give up this life right now for eternity? Or am I going to hold on to this life at the expense of missing out on God's plan for me? Would you stand up with me all over this house and at our Limerick campus? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? I want you to decide that in this time. John's going to lead us in a song just for a moment. A really old, powerful song. A song thousands of people have responded to over the, the years since it's been written. Some of you in this place are just going to make a recommitment, but some of you, you're just going to decide right now, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. Just like Peter, where else am I going? Some of you came here today. You've heard about Jesus for the very first time. You hear what he's asking for. You are scared to death, but you know you have nothing to go home to. Nothing. You're tired of searching. You're tired of running. You're tired of feeling weary. The Bible says, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll give you hope. I'll give you purpose. I'll give you a reason to wake up on Monday. I'll give you a reason. I'll give you the power to overcome your past, to overcome your pain, to overcome your shame. I'll give you the power to forgive those that have hurt you. I'll forgive your sins as far as the east is from the west. And Jesus is saying, will you decide? It's your decision. Our life is built on our decisions. I'm deciding right now to follow Jesus. Some of you, for the very first time, you're just going to, in this moment, I'm going to give you a chance after he's singing, just to respond. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. But I'm not going to lie to you and pretend it's going to be easy. I'm not going to lie to you and pretend you're not signing up for something that's going to cost you everything on this earth. That's what you're signing up for. Jesus, I'm going on. Where else do I have to go? Would you close your eyes and would you just listen to these words if you don't know them? If you know them, would you sing them with us? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Sing that again. I've decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. Come on, that's you in this place. Just put your hands up and tell them. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Now in this moment, if that's you, you say, you know what? This is my time. This is my time. Where else am I going to go? Who else am I going to go to? What else am I going to look for? I can promise you what you're searching for, what you've been looking for, what you've been worried about, what you've been stressed about, what you maybe have dealt with with your anger and your bitterness, that the answer to all that is Jesus. It's always been Jesus. The only reason I stand up here is because of Jesus. I'm not better than you. 
God's not impressed with me. God loved me. And while I was far from God, the Bible says Jesus died for me in my place. And he saved me. And friend, the only reason that I'm here as a 35-year-old man that I stand on this stage, I wanted nothing to do with this when I was a kid. Nothing. I wanted nothing to do with the church. I grew up in the church. I wanted nothing to do with it. But the power of Jesus saved me when I was 18 years old on the steps of the Hershey Arena and transformed me. And he called me. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And I stand up here and I feel privileged and honored. Had he not called me and saved me, I would not be where I am today. I would not have the marriage that I have today, the family that I have today, the legacy that I hope I'm leaving today. I feel privileged and honored. And it's the only thing that I want to do at the end of today's experience is to tell you about Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. He cares for you. He has a plan for you. It's your decision. I'm going to follow Jesus today. I'm not looking anywhere else. I'm not turning back. Where else am I going to go? Where else am I going to go? What else am I going to do? I've searched and I haven't found it. I believe the answer is Jesus. If that's you in this place with nobody looking around right here in this moment, just shoot your hand up really high. Today is my day. I'm deciding to follow Jesus. I see a hand right here. Has anybody else in this place? I see a hand. I see a hand. I'm deciding to follow Jesus. There's no turning back right now. There's no turning back. I see a hand over there. I see hands over here. Does anybody else say, Pastor, that's me at Limerick Campus? Pastor Bob standing in the front. My hands are in the air. I'm not turning back. This is it. I've decided. I see another hand over here. I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. Where else am I going to go? I see a hand right here on my left side. Does anybody else say, Pastor, that's me? That's me. That's why you're here today. That's why God brought you here. You're not here by accident. There's no turning back. Where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to go? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this day. We thank you at both of our campuses that your power is strong. Nothing good has happened here outside the works of God. Lord, your word is not returning void. It has pierced our very soul. You've challenged us. There's those that are recommitting their life to you. That they've been drifting. That they've been fearful. That they've been addicted to things. They've been wandering from you right now. They run to you. Where else can they go? Where else can they go? There's those right now that for the very first time are just making a commitment to you. Lord, this is the best decision they're ever going to make, Lord. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to ask you to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to give you everything, my past sins, my present circumstance, my future. I'm going to trust you, Jesus. And Jesus, I know as soon as they leave this place, that Satan, the liar, is going to come and, and confuse their thoughts and fill their head with lies of their past. And the Bible says that as soon as we come to you, that you save completely, that you erase our past. That we're a brand new person. So everybody in this room right now, they're praying, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Out of Limerick Campus, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. They're becoming a brand new creation right now. They leave this place with hope, with peace, with comfort, with grace. And for the very first time in life, they're feeling a love, a real love. A love that's not dependent on them. It's not a two-way love. It's a one-way love that has reached down into the depths of who they are and saved them. So Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this day. Lord, where else can we go? We've decided to follow you. Lord, this year you're going to do incredible things in our midst for your glory. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for what we get to be a part of. In your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, would you clap with me all over this house?